Welcome to Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I'm your host, Melissa Brunetti. In this second season of Mind Your Own Karma, we're tackling the subject of adoption. Yes, adoption most of the time is a wonderful experience. You have the generous birth parents, the excited adoptive parents, and this lucky little baby. Everyone lives happily ever after, right? But what I want you to know is, there's so much more to these stories. I'm an adoptee myself, and I want to bring all sides of the adoption journey to you in hopes to educate you and to bring understanding to the subject. We're about to get real and raw here, so let's dive right in. Hey there, Karma Crew. It's Melissa Brunetti, the host of Mind Your Own Karma. We're picking up where we left off with You Don't Look Adopted, the book by Anne Heffron. And I am just diving more and more into this book. It is just so good. If you are an adoptee, you have got to get this book. But before I dive into the book, I just want to say I have my two little sidekicks, Ranger and Tomlin here, and they're by my feet right now, and Tomlin is snoring away, so you are probably going to hear his little snore, but I want him down by my feet because he is a Frenchie, and Frenchies have, he's looking my leg right now, Frenchies have seizures sometimes, and he is 13 years old, and so he had quite a big seizure just before I started recording today. So I am going to keep him by my feet and let him snore. So you're going to hear his little noises probably throughout the podcast, and I usually stop the podcast and Tomlin, you know, but I'm just going to let him do his thing right now. He's 13, he's old, and he can he's allowed to snore. So with that little disclaimer, let's dive right into the book. So this part of the book is called Here I Am. And she says, as an adopted person, I am a silver ball that just happened to land on Red Nine on Anne Heffron. I could so easily, I could have landed on Black Four, Jessica Silverstein, say, or Heidi Stork. And so maybe I just keep reliving the crapshoot of my life. Oh, here's home. Oh, here is home and here. I'm home here now. There's a wild familiar feeling of anything is possible when I can jump from my life into someone else's. The tricky part comes in the subconscious need to feel in control. One way to pretend that you have power in your life is to take on an identity, a place of residence, a friend, a boyfriend, a job, a school, and then to say, that's not who I am and to walk away feeling temporarily liberated and strong in your sense of self, which unfortunately is more about who you aren't than who you are, and is therefore only a temporary strength. It's like this fantasy of going back in time and rejecting the birth mother before she can reject you. It's a way of reliving the past and for a brief period of time being the superhero of rejection instead of the object. So how many adoptees can relate to the rejection before the rejection, when you start feeling that things just aren't going right, especially in relationships. And so you are going to pull the trigger before the other person pulls the trigger. So I've heard that a lot among adoptees. And then I've also heard kind of the opposite that when you see that things are not going well, and you think that there might be a breakup or a firing or the end of whatever, that you hang on and you just keep on trying until 
You, you ride that train until it goes off the tracks. Even if you know that it's going to go off the tracks from the very beginning. And I think that goes back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago about what is your attachment style. I think that has a lot to do with how you react to that kind of scenario when you feel like things are kind of going sideways and how you react to that, whether you hang on tight or you run away and let go. Or if you're the secure attachment style, then you may want to talk about it and try and work it out. But I think the outcome of that really depends on your attachment style. So if you wonder what your attachment style is, go back and listen to a couple of episodes back. And there is also a quiz in the show notes if you're not sure what your attachment style is. So it's kind of fun to figure that out. So she goes on and talks about letting go of things. And she says, all my life, I have only been able to keep up the act of being myself for so long. And then I have to leave. It's like I'm a pressure cooker. And at some point, I think I will explode if I don't escape. This means that almost everything is temporary. I have lost count of how many jobs I have had, how many places I have lived, how many men I have loved. I went to five colleges, I buy things and then give them away. So I have long ago lost track of what stuff I own. So it sounds like she was in a cycle of not attaching to anything, that everything was temporary. And so she acted accordingly and just went through the men and went through the jobs and went through the colleges and Then before she could feel bad about maybe getting bad grades or being in a relationship that she didn't want to be in, then it was just easier to let it go. And you let it go before you start feeling bad about yourself. It's almost kind of like a self-sabotaging behavior that you do that, that in your brain, everything's temporary because nothing is ever consistent and nothing can be relied upon. And again, she says, I wanted two things more than anything to be alone and to not be alone. This means I have spent my life gathering people to me and then systematically shutting them out. The danger of having someone close to me, someone close enough to see me when I was too tired to do the song and dance of Anne was that he or she would see who I really was, someone so worthless that even her mother gave her away. Oh my gosh, again, that just gives me the chills, the way that she expresses that. It's just so true. And I've done the same thing in the past, and I've told you guys this in season one of this podcast, that I was the biggest actor in my own life and that I got so tired of acting. I couldn't do it another day. And so I withdrew from people and because I didn't want them to see me, I didn't want them to see me failing in my marriage. I didn't want them to see me weak. I didn't want them to see my anxiety and my panic and my worry. And I was always the one doing everything right. And I didn't want them to see that things were going wrong. 
And so I tried to keep up the charade. And when I couldn't any longer, I withdrew and hid, thinking that this will pass and I will be better tomorrow. Things will get better. And they just didn't. They didn't get better. They kept getting worse. Why? Because I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't being me. And if you don't take these gentle nudges from the universe that is trying to push you in the right direction, trying to get you to look at yourself and be you, if you don't take those and change course, then I believe that this is what turns into depression and mental illness and and health issues, and even suicide. The suicide rate of adoptees is huge compared to the normal population. And it all boils down to because we don't know how to be ourselves. We've been the puppet on a ventriloquist's hand forever, and we don't know how to talk and articulate us. We don't know how to take the pen back and write our own stories. We don't know how to do that. And so these are the ways that we have learned to survive by pulling people to us and then pushing them away. And then people are looking like, what just happened? They have no idea. And we look like we're nuts, right? And we know that we look like we're nuts, But we also know that it stems from a primal wound that we are just trying to survive from. And there's no way to articulate that to a non-adoptee and have them understand it in a way that is understandable, just like Anne and her boyfriend, when he basically said that you were lucky that you were adopted and had great parents. He didn't understand the primal wound. And how could he? He's coming from his own sources of parental abuse. And so to him on the outside, she was lucky that she got the parents that she had. And he saw her as ungrateful. And he wasn't listening or thinking about how adoption affects us, even as adults. It's so hard to articulate. And I think Anne does a great job. And so I'm hoping that I'm bringing a couple of little nuggets to you guys that maybe you could use. And it's not a conversation that you can just have. I don't know if people understand that. Because we all know as soon as you start bringing it up, and I think I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, She talks about it in the book, how the scenarios usually go when we start talking about adoption and we get shut down pretty quickly. Why does it make people so uncomfortable when we say we're adopted? Like it's a taboo subject. It's so weird because it's all Cinderella story, but nobody wants to talk about it. Does that mean that down deep inside, everyone kind of feels that awkwardness too? And so it's like, oh, shoot, that's the subject we're not, nobody's supposed to talk about. So let's just move on. And it's so 
interesting. I've even had people apologize when I've said I was adopted. And it's like, why? (laughs) You're sorry that what, what, what are you sorry for? It's making you uncomfortable. You're like, oops, you know, I shouldn't have brought that up. So then Anne kind of sums this up and she says, from what I have written so far, you might think that I am a sad sack who sighs her way through life. But the fact is that most people think I am carefree and happy more than just about anything. I like to laugh and it's the kind of laugh that makes people stop and look. It's loud. It's the laugh of a joyful person. I think that's who I am. That's the me before my brain butts in and says, I am no good. Are you one of those adoptees that feel like they're not worth anything good? That do the self-sabotaging and end things when you think you feel like it's going south a little bit instead of sticking it out and trying to make it work because maybe everyone has seen you now and they all know that you're a bad person. Or maybe you do things to make people leave you so that you can blame it on that thing that you did. And it had nothing to do with who you really were. You never showed them who you were. So that way you're not rejected. After all, your own biological family didn't want you. So why would someone that's not biological wants you. These are the things that go through our brains, aren't they? So then Anne talks about the elephant in the room and she says, I don't know how to say this and not sound childlike, but I think that if I hadn't been adopted, I might've acted differently. People hate when I talk like this because I sound like I am complaining and because I'm talking about something they can't fix. And so I learned early on to keep quiet about it, even to myself. But there's been a little voice in my head ever since I can remember telling me that I am different. Other people can just say who they are and know where they came from. But I had an asterisk by my name and it told me that I wasn't like everyone else, that everyone else had come from their visible life. Do I think about this all the time? I don't think there is any one thing I can think of all the time, but I do know that the fact that I am adopted comes into my mind every single day in one way or another. And that is the thing that separates me from everyone else. Not the thinking, but the fact that I can't talk about the thinking because it either makes people uncomfortable, annoyed, or bored. True, 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 so true. I mean, I've even gotten the eye roll from people, especially now that I'm doing this podcast and I'm coming out and talking about adoption trauma. People just don't believe it. And we're going to address stress and trauma and how it manifests and is stored in a baby's little body in a few weeks. I'm really excited about that episode. And I hope you listen in because it's going to give you a little bit of insight and hopefully some ammunition that you can actually tell people that yes, babies remember trauma. Maybe not like an adult remembers trauma, 
but they remember trauma. So I hope you tune in for that in a few weeks. And I'm guessing that it's almost like any trauma that even if you were sexually abused and traumatized as an adult, that people don't want to talk about it with you. They will get very uncomfortable because they don't have control. They don't know what to do and they can't fix it. And so just sitting in it with you doesn't feel comfortable for them. But that is exactly what a lot of trauma victims need. You can't fix it. You can't fix it, but you can sit there with me and listen and understand that that is my story and it is how I perceived it. Whether you believe it or not doesn't matter. If it is someone that you care about and you love, then just validate their story, their feelings and how they perceive it. And I can't say how important that is for anyone that's been through any kind of trauma. The validation is huge. You don't have to agree. All you have to do is validate their feelings. And it doesn't mean that you're wrong and they're right or the other way around. It doesn't mean that. It means that you're reflecting back to them their feelings about the situation. And it's so huge that to have those conversations to someone that's had trauma because they don't get those conversations except with maybe a therapist. And it's huge to be able to share that with other people and to tell our stories without feeling that uncomfortableness from the person that we're talking to. So, so huge. And this next little story that she talks about is just really heartbreaking for me. She said, I had other paperwork that came with me when I was adopted. Letters from my parents, lawyer paperwork from the adoption agency. Some of the copied pages were on onion skin paper, and I liked the fragile feel of my history. There were papers that outlined the payments my parents had made for the adoption. There was even a paper where mistakenly my birth name was left unaltered that I could later use to locate my birth mother. After my mother died, I looked for the books and my adoption file in the metal case where my parents kept important papers. It was a way of self-soothing to go through these documents I had gone through as a child. But the books and file were gone, as were my brother's. I asked my father where they were, and he said, oh, we threw those away when your mother and I were getting our affairs in order. My face must have registered the shock I was feeling, because suddenly he looked embarrassed. They made us sad, he said. I nodded and walked away. I didn't want to cry in front of him and make him feel worse than he already did. I had seen in his face that he hadn't realized he'd done something wrong until that moment. Oh my gosh, those little nuggets of information that we get of our before stories are just so sacred to us and to have them just throw those away. 
I can't imagine how she felt in that moment, just that sick feeling that you just threw away my life. The part of my life that I don't really know much about, and that's all I had just tossed in the trash like nothing. Just so heartbreaking, so heartbreaking. We treasure every little nugget that we have of where we came from and how we came and just everything. It makes us feel a little bit normal that we actually did have a birth story, that we were actually born of someone, somewhere. We treasure those things. So now she talks about the conversations that adoptees have with people. She says, to help you understand, let me give you a glimpse into what conversations about adoption look like. And I'll just um, talk about a few that she wrote here. She says, the nurse asks for your health history. You say you don't know you're adopted. She writes unknown in the big white square. Maybe your birth mother had breast cancer. Maybe your birth father had diabetes. Who knows? You aren't privy to that information. At a sports event, you win the mile, and a parent of a friend congratulates you, asks if your parents were runners when they were young. You shrug. I'm adopted, you say. The parent looks surprised. Oh, he says, smiles, pats you on the back, and walks away. You came from nowhere. Your parents could have been Olympic athletes or drug addicts. You could end up anything since you have no idea what cards you were dealt. Right now, you're a runner. You are on a plane with your baby. She's adorable, the woman next to you says. What's her story? You know what the woman means. Your daughter is half Japanese, and people often assume you adopted her. It makes sense to you that even what is flesh and blood isn't seen as that. It's how life is. Nothing truly is yours, but that doesn't prevent you from being mouthy. I pushed really hard, and she came out, you say. The woman looks surprised and regroups quickly. Oh, she says, she's really yours. And that's where you normally get the apology. Oh my God, I'm so sorry, you know. Yeah, this is my child. She's got a Japanese father, but yes, I pushed her out. That's how she came, how we got her. And what's the story? That's the story. (laughs) But these are the things that we go through. I hate filling out paperwork at every single doctor's appointment that you ever have. And they all ask about your family history. Now I know some of mine. So I have some of that information, but it's still annoying as hell. You know, and sometimes I just don't even want to go there because I really don't have anything that's that pressing that the doctor really needs to know that I know about. So sometimes I'll just say, unknown, I'm adopted. I don't feel like filling this part out. It's just some days I just want to feel like a normal person, a normal patient. And those things are just reminders of, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where I came from. I don't, Sometimes it just feels insensitive and annoying and exasperating. I don't even know all the words, but some days I just don't even want to go there. I don't want to deal with it. So then Anne goes into kind of a different conversation that probably every adoptee has had. And she says, when people ask if I look like my mother or my father, I freeze. 
I look like both of them. I have their light eyes, fair skin, their way of moving in the world. But if I said I looked like one or the other, I would feel like I was misrepresenting myself to whoever was asking. I would feel like a liar. When a person asks if you look like your parents, that person is talking about genetics, not coincidence. By answering yes, I am disregarding the fact that somewhere I have birth parents whose genetics I actually carry. I am disregarding the existence of my own family tree and therefore my roots, and I am misrepresenting the relationship I have with my parents. They are more parents, but they aren't my biological parents. They aren't. I'm sorry. I feel like a jerk writing this, like somehow I should have done better at erasing my own history and made everyone else happy. Those are the conversations that make us freeze. They do because, oh, who do you look like? You, you just want to say, you really don't want to have this conversation. You don't want to have this conversation with me. So let's just skip it. That's what you feel like saying. That is just the, probably one of the most loaded questions anyone could ask us, right? Because you really don't know how to answer. What are you supposed to say? I don't look like either one of my parents. And then there's like an awkward silence. Well, they're trying to compute what you just said and how can that be? And what does that mean? And yeah, let's probably just not even have that conversation. (laughs) So the author of this book, she's uh, one of three adopted children in this family, and she's got two brothers. And so she talks about how they all look different. And she says the fact that Sam had curly hair and brown eyes and brown skin and the fact that John had emotional problems because his birth mother had been a drug addict and the fact that I looked German while my parents looked like a blend of English and Irish were the yes, but facts of our lives. Yes, we look different, but we are still all related. No, not by blood. No, not really related. But this isn't something we talk about. You just need to play along. This is how adoption works. You acknowledge it, but you also pretend that it didn't happen. You will your way to family, to we are no different from the Maloney's across the street or the Syracuse across town. They are a father, a mother, and three children. They are family, and so are we. End of story. Lastly, she says, people really, really want to believe in the healing powers of love. They want to believe that you can take a child into your home and love away the past. And, you know, you can't love away the past, but you can use love to make the future better. We can't change the past and we can't change whatever trauma that the baby went through. But you can definitely make some things better. And by not acknowledging the elephant in the room is not one of them. Pretending that our biology is the same isn't helping. What would help is celebrate the differences instead of ignoring them and making us feel weird. Acknowledge the differences and celebrate the differences. Talk about them because We want to talk about them. I would say 90% of adoptees want to talk about that and they want it to be a positive experience, not one that they feel like they need to hide and not talk about because it's making everyone else uncomfortable. This is when we retreat. This is when we hide. This is when we are taught 
that we can't be ourselves. We need everyone in our lives to be open and honest about everything that you know and just be there with us when the hurt comes, when the trauma rears its ugly head and maybe we're reacting in a weird way and you don't understand why, but if you can understand that it probably is stemming from a trauma that we had and we're just trying to protect ourselves. We're just in survival mode in that moment because something is threatening us. Something is threatening our ability to feel safe in that moment. And so we're reacting, we're reactive in that moment. So if you can just give us a little bit of understanding in those moments, even if you don't understand it yourself, then maybe you can help us retrain our brains and you can help us learn how to rely on people and trust people again. We need validation. We need acceptance when we want to talk about these things. And we need someone to sit with us in the ugly. When we are in the ugly and we don't feel that we deserve a good life because we're not good. Deep down, we're not good. We were rejected from our mothers from day one. And unfortunately, there are so many adoptees that are again rejected when they go searching. So heartbreaking. And let me just say a couple of things. I generalize a lot when I'm saying we, we. I'm just reiterating the things that I'm seeing in the adoptive community. These things may not directly pertain to me. I'm just kind of generalizing when I say we. The other thing I want to say is I've really been trying to find some birth mother stories to come on here. I totally can sympathize with them having to give up a child and what trauma, how that manifests for them. I believe that my birth mother was traumatized by having to give me up. I feel this in my bones and it's so difficult because it's so difficult to not take that on personally for me and feel like it's my fault. It's my fault for being created. It's my fault for being born. It's my fault for being the thing that maybe changed her life forever, that changed the trajectory of what she wanted to do and be that she was forever changed because of me. And I know everyone wants to jump in and make that better and, you know, say all the right things, but it doesn't matter because those are the feelings of many adoptees that everything is our fault. And it's just so hard to retrain that in your brain. I personally have done a lot of work and I've come a long, long way, 
But I also think that there are some things that I don't know if I'll ever work through. And that's one of them is that feeling of guilt of just even being. There are some things that I can tackle and I feel like I can work through. And there's other things that for one reason or another, and I couldn't pinpoint why certain things are just untouchable for me. They're just, I think, always going to be there. I, well, I don't want to say always, but I just don't at this moment see working through those things. So yeah, if you know of a birth mother that would love to come on the show, I really want to get that perspective. And I am lining up a few other guests as well. And like I said, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm hoping to bring to you a little bit of the science behind trauma and the baby and how that does manifest in their little bodies and how that plays out. I really want to educate people on all of these things surrounding adoption. It's time to look at these things and have an understanding so that when we know better, we do better. Because I feel like there wasn't any education for a long time. And the education was just don't talk about it. I had one lady today that I'm hoping to get on the show. So I don't want to get in too much of her history. But she said that she didn't find out that she had a different father till later in life. And her family said, well, we didn't lie to you because you were never supposed to find out. Again, I'm getting the chills. We weren't lying to you because you were never supposed to find out the truth. I don't know how that could come out of someone's mouth. I really don't. And I know they probably didn't mean it in a harmful, hurtful way, but oh my God, how do you say that to someone? These are the things that just have to stop. We are talking about people's lives, their history, where they came from, their biology. And we really have to watch how we say things. That is just so hurtful. Anyway, I'm hoping to get her on the show. She's got a very interesting story, not necessarily an adoption story, but it definitely parallels adoption. And that's all I want to say about that. If you are an adoptee and you want to tell your story on the podcast, you can email me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. If you want to talk, I'm here to listen and I will sit with you in the yuck if that is what you need is someone to listen. I am not a licensed therapist, but I am an adoptee. And so I understand probably where you're at and where you're coming from. So don't hesitate to contact me. Um, I also have a Facebook and Instagram at Mind Your Own Karma. So find me there as well. And you can DM me there. If this podcast has touched you in any way, please leave a review on your listening platform. I'm really trying to educate. It's time to get this out to the world. And the way to help me do that is to rate and review. I really hate that algorithms dictate everything. 
that people see, but it is sad but true. So if you can have five seconds to just do that for me and help me get the word out, I thank you, thank you, thank you. So as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. And I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I've had listeners ask how they can help support this podcast. The best way to do that is rate and review this podcast directly on your listening platform. You have no idea how this small gesture helps get the word out about this podcast. Don't forget to click the subscribe tab to get notified of future episodes so you won't miss a thing. You can also find my Instagram and Facebook links below if you would like to follow and support me there as well. Lastly, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Adoption Chronicles season of the podcast, you can email me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.